welcome to Ana Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Ana, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Nathan Mong, co-founder and editor-in-chief of the online news platform Kamiat Media. Nathan, an American citizen of Burmese descent, was detained alongside co-founder and news producer Hanta on March 9, 2021, when the Myanmar Hanta raided their office. He spent 15 days in a secretive military-run interrogation centre, where he was handcuffed, blindfolded and subjected to torture, which included continuous beatings, food, water and sleep deprivation, and non-stop interrogation. After 15 days he was transferred to the notorious insane prison, where he spent months in solitary confinement. He was freed on the 15th of June and deported to the US. Here he speaks about the difficulties journalists face when attempting to report on the atrocities committed in Myanmar, his experience of imprisonment and torture at the hands of the Myanmar military, the continued suffering of Hanta, his brother who is still detained, and his plans for the future now that he has regained his freedom. Let's start the conversation. Hi, Nathan. Can you hear us? Hello. Yeah. So, How are you? Good. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Yeah. You so for you know having a chance to speak with you. You know. We're really grateful that you came on. I wanted to talk because obviously your story has captured a lot of people. And one of the main reasons we started the podcast was just because of how little news coverage Myanmar was getting in our countries. And that's why we thought we'd fill the gap. If the media are not going to talk about it, we're going to talk about it. So we were just chatting just before you you came in and we were just a little curious because obviously we know a lot about what's happened in the last few months for you. But prior to that, how do you end up setting up a, a news outlet in Myanmar? How does that come about? Actually, you know, uh, when I graduated in North Carolina, so I didn't decide yet back to Burma. At the time, the Burma was not open yet. So I is pro to write about my book and, you know, to do some documentary work. So I back to Thailand. So I was working at the time for the Radio Free Asia in Burmese, you know, section. So, and they finally offered me, they then, can you work for us as a content provider? because they're going to launch a new television program on Burma. So I said, okay, I will see, I will try my best. So in 2011, so when the Burma was open, so I can apply my visa to visit back to Burma, so to see my family. My mom and my sister and brother are living there. So that is, that is why I ended up in Burma another 10 more years. So me and Gohanda, Another of you know my childhood friends, we were together to set up the Kamayan media. At the time, you know, Bomber have a you know daily newspaper a lot, maybe more than like you know sixty or seventy-five papers, you know, weekly journals and daily paper. So I decided that I there's a you know broadcasting session so the government is totally controlled. So we need to do the more independent media outlet in you know streaming. So the Kamayan media became a very fast, you know, streaming media in Burma in early 2012. And were you free to publish in whatever you wanted or was there a lot of restrictions then? At the time, it's not a lot of restriction, but I met with the, a lot of opposition. 
from the government and from my journalism community. Because in, in 2012, after the by-election, Aung San was elected. Two months later, the communal violence outbreak, you know, in Yakai State. At the time that we decided that we need to focus on human rights journalists to report the anti-communal violence or physical violence or, you know, structural violence. And since that time, my media is targeted from the things in government and also the local journalists are totally against it because they said, no, 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 Nathan, don't bring the international prices on the journalism. We have our own national interest. I said, no, human rights apply to everyone. So they start to accuse me that, okay, you and Kamayo Media received funding from the OIC and you became kind of like Islamic media outlet. I said, no, no, this country, I was born in it. I have to report it what is the truth. I have to focus on the human rights violation. So yeah, they didn't understand that. So I seriously focused on reporting about in 2012 and 2013. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But there's not a lot of restriction from the government, but they have a lot of threat to me and my journalists for our movement and reporting. So that two of my journalists were arrested and detained in Sitwe, Arkansas State. Yeah, a week later, we managed to, you know, release him and bring back to Rangoon at the time. I think it was in 2014. We were reporting on the uh, situation of the Rohingya people in Sitwe and Budidong. But when the uh, communal violence and a lot of atrocities outbreak in 2017 and 18, we haven't had a chance to report that story because at the end of the Aung San Suu Kyi government, there's no media freedom at all. There's a lot of restriction on the media. So I was so angry. So you had even less freedom in 2017 than you had in 2012 and 13? I have to admit that. You know, I was so excited, in, you know, in the pre-election campaign in 2015. We hope that there will be a more media freedom under Aung San Suu Kyi government. But Aung San Suu Kyi does not have a policy to set the media restriction back. Her government tried to silence and tell her cabinet member not to communicate with media. Since the 2016, we have a lot of restriction. You know, there's a lot of deny to assess the media. Even the, you know, the Ministry of Information, no, no release. They are just beginning on, they have a voice on their social media outlet. I said, I complained to the uh, NID member. Hey, my media are not a copy and paste media. We have a lot of questions and you can't answer it. So there's a lot of problems. So I would say the NID government has a more restriction on the media. And you might remember that uh, after 2017, the Rohingya and the atrocity happened. A lot of local media outlets and our strategy government are totally against with the international media or the road. Yeah. That is why, you know, we have seen a lot of not good things. And have you always, Nathan, been somebody who strives for the truth? Like, no matter the, the personal cost to you, like, you, you always wanted to highlight those things? Honestly, since the 2017 and 18, I decided to turn down not to report any of the human rights story at all, because the four-hour survival of the media, I have to switch to the focus on the, in the business side. So we have to produce a lot of like entertainment story and business story, not politics. That's what we decided, like kind of white card. We don't 
report any of the government, the policy news story. And we silenced ourselves not to tell a story about what happened in 2017-18. Do you regret that now, in hindsight? Do you regret that decision to be silenced? I didn't because, you know, I believe that there's a lot of, you know, like-minded journalists around the world. Even I haven't had a chance to report that, they did. They did a lot. So the war had that there's a lot of atrocity happened. But inside Burma, you cannot write anything about Avatar. We all lived in, in Myanmar, and during 2017, we were there, and we didn't hear anything about it from within the country. Obviously, we heard from outside, but it just wasn't anywhere. It wasn't being reported at all. So if we take you from there then, and, and as you say, you were kind of silenced and you were reporting other news, but you were staying away from those human rights abuses and you knew that you were essentially not allowed to report on that. When the coup happened, did you think, OK, we're not going to be silenced here, we're going to speak out? Or did you have to have that discussion again of whether you would play ball, I guess, with the military, be quiet or whether you would speak out? You know. It's a very tough to make a decision on the day the coup happened. So in that morning of February 1st, we didn't know what happened in Burma at the time. So we're trying to understand one via internet, we are telephone service, we are back. And the afternoon, we realized what happened in the morning. And we have only like, you know, 10 hours to make a decision. On that first day, we didn't report anything because we didn't know what happened in the country. But what we know, I took like a two, three hours and talked to my friend and understand the situation. Okay, after a year of, you know, COVID, we have a like, you know, the limited resources. What should we do? I know, you know, what's what going to happen to us. I know. And we make a final decision. Okay, whatever happened to us, we'll report it. We'll report it. Since February 2, we report on the, uh, on the you know, anti-military coup movement. And we decided to wipe out any in a report from the military regime. I believe that the military has targeted us already since 2012. They saw us that we are like pro-NLE media or pro-democracy media, kind of. So they, they made sure that we are on the list. So that is, you know, after 40 days later, they decided to raid our office. So on, on the 1st of February, you knew the risk straight away that if you report this, that you were putting all of you, you understood the risks immediately and you, you still did it anyway. And were you tempted to leave the country? Like instead, like you could have kind of worked from outside the country, you know, you, you could have flown out in those first few days. Did that cross your mind to do that? or? Yeah, we didn't realize that, you know, in the first, you know, two weeks after the coup, we believed that we are able to move. You know, there's no crackdown yet on the media or on the protester yet. So we are just kind of waiting to see moment. But the, at the end of February, we knew it. The threat is coming. But at the time, there's a limited to movement inside Rangoon. So that's not easy. So even, you know, high, you know, fighting is such a, you know, hideout place and other. We have a lot of office, you know, there. Because of the COVID, I told my journalists do not come to the office at all walk from home or work from somewhere. Please do not come at all. Me and Hamba only walk from the office. And I, we try to make sure that our office address is not listed. So we try to cut off our, you know, shut down our website, only social media. So we try to, you know, 
remove our address from the internet, everything. So we try to hide out and we try to live as a, like a you know, residential area as a normal family. Three days before that, we decided to move out from the office. And we have a communicate to our close friends. We were told that they're going to pick that. So on that day, March 9, we decided that in the next two hours, we're going to move. So we packed everything, all the you know, important documents and money, cash, everything, put in the one bag. And 30 minutes later, soldiers showed up. So you didn't get that stuff out, that they arrived before you could. Your chip-off was late, like you didn't know it was going to be that fast. Uh, and also another thing, you know, I was thinking that, okay, they're going to raid the office maybe at night time, but not in the broad daylight. And you managed to smash your phone. I think I read that in one of your interviews. You, you managed to do that just before they got in. In terms of, I mean, I don't know how much you want to share, and this is completely up to you as well, because obviously it's obviously very traumatic what you've been through, but you and Hanta were both arrested there and then. and. You weren't taken to prison immediately. They they took you someplace else initially. Is that right? Yeah, they took us to the uh, EGI interrogation center in Megalado, northern part of Rangoon. So where we were for about 15 days. So for two weeks, the interrogation, they interrogate us for like eight days. And stop without sleep. So they give me a water on my third day and give me a food on my fourth day breakfast. So for first three days, no water at all. It was like total night. And how do you how do you survive that? Like what what goes through your head in those moments? Like are you religious? Do you have a mantra? Buddhism does that help you in those times? I know a lot of people say that to us. You know that their Buddhism helps them. I want to say I'm a Buddhist or you know the Buddhism because you know I practice for four years about vipassana meditation. So. That is the Vipassana and Anapana. That is, you know, only can survive for us. Me and Hanta. Me and Hanta, we went to the uh, retreat four years ago in Mulwin. So since that time, every day we practice in the morning and in the evening. So be mindful. We shut down everything. Know yourself. Go inside. So that's a lot of pain. So you have to know your sensation. The sensation is very hot. Very, you know, the temperature. Everything. But you have to understand the pain. That is the practice for four years. And when the uh, nightmare and torture occur, my practice automatically focus on my nostril area. That is the automatic. So I try to be mindful all the time. Even I was, you know, kid on my face and shoulder all the time. I kept my breath in and breathe out all the time. So yeah, that's a normal person. It's very painful. It's very painful. I cannot describe, you know, how painful it was, but I believe that it was the only thing we can survive because of without water, drinking water for three days. I cannot imagine, you know, I could be, I could be dead all the time, you know, anytime. But I tried to be, because I knew, you know, like two years ago, with the, with the, with the uh, meditation practice, I can live, you know, without sleeping for four or five days. That is a very practical. This, you know, came from my own experience. That's what I kept at Medidea Vipassana. That's why I shared a lot about this, how I survived. Like when we think about some of these torture techniques, like this is what you see in the movies, like for terrorists or hardened criminals. Like, I mean, you're a journalist. I mean, it's, it's crazy when you think about the kind of tactics they were using. 
I find it hard to understand this military and why they operate the way that they do, but it just seems crazy. I mean, you're publishing news. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, torture is not okay for anybody, but for somebody publishing news, it just seems such an extreme thing. I just, yeah, I find it so bizarre. You know, for my personal, you know, perspective, they are not seen as, as a general. They are seen as, you know, the enemy of the state. Because, you know, they don't care about what we are writing a story. They just want to know what well, we have a connection with the source, like politicians, like Mingo Nai, and like other energy members. They just wanted to cry, you know, cry dog. So they needed a soul and contact from us. And they didn't know, because Hansa has a lot of contact. So he didn't surrender his phone passport, you know, pin number. That's why he got beaten very badly. So finally he surrendered his, you know, password. So they got a lot of connection, right? You know, contact. But, you know, since our arrest, there's all contacts where, you know, change their number and everything. We knew that. Even the Facebook Myanmar team, they, you know, disable our account. That, you know, have us a lot. Even if, the, you know, the, our accounts are, you know, alive, there will be a lot of conversation between our sources for the story. So the, the good things happen in the interrogation time. So they didn't get my phone. They didn't get me and Handa Facebook account. Only Handa phone. Only Handa phone has like photo, not a conversation, not a video record. Only photo. It was taken with Aung San Suu Kyi and Mingo and other friends. But they didn't get anything from it. That's why they were so angry. So that's why they're trying to take the information about our financial state, how much we make and how much we spend. That is there after. Was their main incentive just to get your connections out of you and the information, or were they trying to at any point say, look, if you pay this amount of money, then you will be able to go? Or was that ever a, a situation that was put on the table for you? No, no, they didn't, they didn't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Only on our final day, after eight days, they finished, they completed our interrogation and they have like a record of our testimony but they have just read through it with the video recording they didn't say anything i asked why are we arrested why are we tortured he said he doesn't say nothing oh you guys are okay you didn't commit any bad thing we are thinking about to release you soon blah 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 i said release some i don't think so because they raided our office and took all properties everything our Recording facility, everything, including my passport and my birth certificate, everything they took. And they said, after eight days, we are clean. So before they sent you to prison and you're in the interrogation center, is it military soldiers? Is that who's like torturing you? Yeah. And when you move to insane, does it change? Does the torture stop and you're just in a cell? Is there a difference then? It's different. In the prison, they didn't torture you physically. But they send me to a solitary confinement without explanation. Me and Handa we are in the solitary confinement in the teeny tiny cell, like eight by twelve in cell. So they lock you up. That's a two-step door, right? Normally, the door inside your cell will be open in daytime, and they lock you at the nighttime from six p.m. until seven a.m. morning, and then they will open the door. It's normal. But if you did something like, you know, wrong or maybe violate something as a punishment, they put you in the lock, a door, two-step door. So you are not allowed to go outside and see or socialize with any other. This is a kind of punishment. This kind of torture. And could you and Han Park communicate with each other in solitary confinement? 
yeah, you could. Not in the solitary confinement, but also we are able to see each other and check in the uh, police track. Whenever we see every twice for the court appearance on court day, so we were together, so we are able to talk. But in the solitary confinement, back to the prison, we can, you know, yell at each other, shout at each other because of the wall is so thick. You have to use your high volume. Hello, Han Danye, how are you? Do you have your coffee in the morning? That kind of communication and socialize, not talking to everything. And did you meet many of the other prisoners there when you were there? I did, I did, yeah. They, they put me in two different prisons, right? And for the first two weeks, they put me the attached prison in Insel. So when I met with a lot of, you know, politicians and also the journalists and uh, activists. So there's some more than 2,000 in the teeny tiny area. And after two weeks, they separated, you know, me and Handa, and they took me only to send to the insane main jail, where I stayed together with other eight political detainees, such as like, you know, my former minister of you know, religion, Dura Uncle, and former finance minister, Sowin, deputy finance minister, Winston Saong, and former finance minister, Chowin, and Lumen, Yae, Mentuete, and Montacho. And a uh, Japanese journalist, Yuki. Yuki came to our blog just right after Pinjam, and he was released on May 25th, something. Yeah. And you are an American citizen, passport holder. Yeah. So that is why you have been released. Do, do you know the, the details of that or how that got secured or? I didn't know why that happened so quickly. You know, back in the prison, I have a phone call every 14 days from the embassy. So we have a phone conversation for like 30 minutes. So the consuls explained me about the U.S. government trying their best to release me as soon as possible. So they didn't explain me very detailed. And finally, I what I was told is that, you know, the ASEAN delegation in Ali John was visited to Napier. So I believe that the U.S. government, you know, passed my release through the ASEAN delegation. So delegation spoke about my name. And three days later, the police chief visited to the prison and called me to have a short meeting. So, you know, he told me that, okay, Nathan, we were thinking to drop your case. I asked him, what about Hunter? No, I was told only about you. That's all I have. I have no, and he told me to prepare and to buy the air ticket for my back to the United States. No, I don't want to go back to the United States. I'll go to Thailand. He said, no, you have to show the return ticket to the United States. We'll release you. And I said, okay, yeah, I want to talk to my aunt and my lawyer. So they didn't respond. Me. And two days later, the embassy sent a message that they have a ticket. So ambassador and the consul and I talked at the airport. And the ambassador explained me. They tried many ways to raise about my issue. And finally, at the time, is, you know, they sent a message through ASEAN delegation. And they believe that that is what happened. And just one of the charges, obviously, against you, you had a 505, but there was also another charge from the grandson of yes. Nguyen, Nguyen's grandson. Nguyen, A. Nguyen, yeah, yeah, grandson of Nguyen. His name is A. Nguyen. And he finally, he finally lost at the police station with the uh, 66D. That's kind of like 
you know, telecommunication ad, you know, kind of libel because of we reported about his account was removed by the Facebook team because of he violated the community standard of blah, blah, blah. So we reported that. That is why he sued, you know, he filed a suit. And when did you report that? I think in January, late January, one, there's a, I didn't remember the exact date, but uh, I think the late late January, maybe 20 or 25th. And he waited until you were already detained to file a lawsuit. So it kind of yeah. sounds like maybe there's a personal element or something at, at play there, doesn't it? Like it sounds. Yeah, like- it is. And tell us a little bit about Hintar. It sounds like you guys are really close friends. Yes, yes. We, we, we've been together for like, you know, more than 10 years, you know, since before the Kamaya Media started. I met him in Bangkok, or he was a master student in mass communication at that time. So at the time, I was, you know, working for the Radio Free Asia Burmester. And he was working, you know, as a local producer for the foreign media like BBC and NHK, Al Jazeera, ABC Australia. And yeah, you know, it, it's very hard to record about. But I'm so glad I've known him for many years. Yeah, for about like, you know, prison lockdown for like two months. We haven't had anything from him. But I believe that he's doing okay. He's reading books. I know that he has infected COVID along with other nine political things back in July. Because since early July, before the uh, lockdown of the prison, uh, there's a final court appearance. One is, one is Tura uncle. He's the uh, former religious minister. So he talked to his family member. He is sick. And also, Yemin U, he also transferred back to the area. We believe that there's a lot of COVID outbreak happening in Atash prison. And the Yemen who was transferred from Atash prison to inside prison. We believe that there will be, you know, infected. And we were right. We heard it from prison staff. And there's a two senior minister were hospitalized for two weeks in inside. And Handa was infected in July 19. And he was recovered a week later. And Lumin was a final one. He was infected at the end of July. And he was recovered in first week of August. Just right after, at the end of July, they got a COVID first shot. And I believe that at we are, you know, speaking, they got a second shot. So I know you've said that it was really hard for you because you wanted to be there with him because you have been through this together. But I guess you're out here now. So, I mean, the more awareness you can raise and the international pressure that can be put on, because there's a lot of journalists and a lot of people in prison who shouldn't be in prison, but particularly there's a lot of journalists. And we know there's another American journalist who's still in prison also, but the authorities haven't seemed to be able to get him out in the same way they have been able to get you out. And I know his family, they have not had a lot of contact in the last while. So it's obviously a big concern for them. Yeah, I talked to I talked to Brian Fenster like two weeks ago about his family and you know the latest situation about you know Danny. And we are hoping they are released, Danny and Handel and other journalists to be released as soon as possible. And also my personally I am looking for the you know urgent visit of ASEAN special envoy to Burma. You know, if he visit as soon as possible, that would be hope. There's a lot of hope to release a lot of, you know, political detail. 
I'm just thinking in terms of the media here, like maybe you might not feel the same, but for me, it feels very disappointing that Myanmar is just not getting international coverage in the sense that given their own fellow comrade, like as a journalist yourself, I like, I mean, there are some fantastic journalists who are doing work, but it's just not making the news here. Like a number of my friends didn't even know it had happened. The coup had happened. They knew nothing about Myanmar because Nobody's reporting on it. And it's very frustrating for us. But you're a media man. So you understand how the media works and the business side of things. Is it frustrating for you to see the lack of coverage? I do not. You know, I think the international media coverage has enough on Roma. They highlight a lot. Even the local media and also, the, you know, the international media. I think, you know, I really appreciate what they did. Even if they didn't cover it, we understand. I understood about, you know, how we survive and how we you know, work for our nature. I know. But what I believe is the only real thing can change, only thing is from, I thought. Some people are, you know, they have, you know, high spirit for the revolution. So I still have a lot of hope for that, to to return of the, you know, democracy, to release of our political detainees and general. You know, I keep my thinking and my thought and try to be an optimist. It's pretty incredible, given what you've been through, to have that way of looking at the world um, and to have that optimism. Just in terms of, we saw those protests break out in insane prison not so long ago, and then we heard there was a really violent crackdown afterwards. Does that worry you? How bad things must be for people to, to protest and to sing like that? I have a phone call from one of the CDM, you know, uh, medical professor. He was released a month ago. He shared about his, you know, story in prison, you know, a protest in the prison. Why that happened in the protest in the prison was the connection of the death of the union wing. He died, he died in hospital. And two days later, the Shuinya Wasayaro was shouted and call for, you know, you guys are killing us with the COVID outbreak in the prison. And you deny all the uh, medication and doctor visit. At that time, on, I guess, in July 23rd, it was a wild full Monday. Trina was, yeah, Sayaro started the protest and the other 2000 political did involved the protest. And my friends, AR and other student activists, the total of five were in the solitary confinement until now. So they've spent that whole time in solitary confinement. Were people killed? Is that? No. No. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was rumor. Only just protests and the uh, prison authority, you know, talked to the uh, protest uh, you know, leader, my friend, he only understood it. And they negotiated, but it didn't succeed. So finally, they ended up in solitary confinement. And when you're in prison like that in Insane, do you bond with people there? Like, is there a closeness that only you, you who've been there together can understand? Yeah, but in the, in Titan, you have all political detainees, they have a, like a two different section, right? One is we got the block. Block have a solitary confinement cells, like maybe 12 or 14 cells. They put a high profile politician. But for the other, you know, political activists, they put like, you know, four different big rooms in one layer, another layer is another four different. So one room has like 80 or 85 people, like 100 feet by 200 feet size. So very crowded. So I live in that crowd for two weeks 
in attached prison. But in the insane prison, I was in the cell. So I wasn't, you know, not crowded or not seeing too many people. So I imagine COVID in that kind of setting would just spread so fast. Yeah, yeah. Only only family members and friends, that's medications and everything, food. That's all they can rely on. In terms of the people in charge of these places, so in the interrogation centre, would they be military interrogators? And then is it right in saying that when you get to insane, it's police? or In the uh, Yeji uh, interrogation centre, it's only soldiers. So, I mean, presumably for them, this is normal. This is their normal tactic to deal with anyone they want information from. But what is so different? Well, not so different to past history, but what is huge about the protests in terms of this coup is that there's so many people they're doing this to. Do you think they're still seeing this as just normal practice? This is just normal for them to do this to people? It is normal for them to do this. You know, people of Burma, Mostly they live in the young city. We didn't understand that, how brutal they are. But the ethnic minorities were new already since like 60 years ago. That is what, you know, the people who live in the proper Burma do not understand about the Rohingya plight. But the Rohingya and Kachin and other ethnic minorities were suffering from the brutality of the military. But most of the majority people didn't know it. But now they are seeing with their own eyes on the street of the Rangoon and Mandalay. That's what happened in Yakai State. And my own experience, you know, is not too much different from my friends, like 20 years or 25 years ago. My, you know, students at the were arrested and interrogated under the Kenyan military intelligence. The only difference is military intelligence is more brutal, using the more brutal tactic to torture you and to interrogate you. But my own experience is different. The military intelligence can is totally collapsed in Burma. There's only soldiers. They don't know the technique of intelligence gathering information. So they just beat you. That's it. That's what happened, you know, why? The tactic they were using day by day on front line and barrack. That's all. That's why, you know, they didn't have too many questions for us. Even I explained how the media was alive. They didn't know. They didn't know what is APA. They didn't know what is writer is. I said, we have to subscribe their story and we have to translate and we run the story. They didn't know. They thought we are collaborate or something to do like, you know, to against them. They're just like brutal soldiers. We've seen some very, very horrendous images of politicians that have been badly tortured and their bodies sent back to their family. Is that you talked about a different kind of interrogation and different kind of torture that's higher up. Is that an example of perhaps that? That's how they differentiate between how you're going to be treated. Yeah, it is different. You know, if they get a receipt direct order to raid your office and to arrest you, they know who you are and they treated you different. But if they don't have an order, but they thought they suspect it is, you know, dangerous for them, like, you know, street protest or maybe the underground resistance fighter, they will kill them right away. So they use a two different interrogation center in Yango. For high-profile politicians, they put in the uh, EHGI interrogation center. For the mass protests and, you know, the other demonstrator, so they use a Shwepida detention center. That was different. In Shwepida, they detained only two days. 
And after two days, they send it back to prison. At the detention two day and two night, there's a lot of people killed. They got killed. A lot of you know people in prison share their information. They saw other people before arrival to the detention center. There's a two dead boys. They just throw it away. I couldn't believe my ear. But you know, it's totally different. My own experience. My own experience, you know, I have you know infiltrated with other high-profile politicians. So I was lucky. I believe that. If not, if I was sent to tribute detention, I could be killed anytime. Did you know that before, or you only know that afterwards? Like when you were after, taken there? After, after, yeah, yeah. So after, you- yeah. Even <laughs> I didn't know what is the area is. I I saw only the area is around Mengalado, near Loga. That's all I know. But when I went to prison, they they shared their stories. They were from tribute. I said tribute away. I was from Yujia, you guys are should be that way. They don't know it should be that way, but they told me that there's a, like 200, 400 people every night. And they separated two teams. Well, you know, one group was, you know, beaten very badly and bleeding and bruises. And another group was not beaten yet or not bruises or not broken hand. They're trying to make sure to separate. And then they start beating the other, make sure they got all. Did you think you might die? Like, was that a possibility when you were being tortured? Yeah. It is. You know, you never know. Any minute or any second, it could happen to you. Did it feel to you like they were working on orders or at times they were just like they had lost control? Or No, they don't, they don't lost their control. They are adding with, you know, their order. You know, after they took a break, like two days or three days later, they interrogated me and they took like five hours break. And they came, they showed that they came to me with a different question. And also I overheard their phone conversation with the Rangoon Army Division. And on my, you know, transfer day, I was sitting at the uh, main gate and they were soldiers were talking and reporting about what is always so they are trying to track in down. So they are receiving order every hour. And it's from the different commanders or whoever they're directing. Of course. Of course. Crazy, like. But they just seem incredibly brutal. Like the stories we're hearing are just, you wouldn't see it in a movie. You know, they're just, and I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but what's with the mutilated bodies afterwards with organs missing? What is that about? Is that like to send fear? Are they harvesting organs? Do we know why they do that? I don't know. No, it's, it seems so strange. It is a first time, you know, before I was arrested, there's a one energy member in downtown Rangoon. He was arrested and raped his home at night. And next morning, his family member were told to receive the dead body. It was the first time. I said, wow. And next day, Sidumon's father was arrested. Ah, we were keep praying that, oh my God, there's no more dead body. But in late March and April, there's more dead body. Most dead body we couldn't count. Why not? We never know about that. You said that they were trying to get information about your contacts out of you, and you said, you know, there were pictures with Aung San Suu Kyi and things. I just wondered whether yourself or Handa had any friends who are in the military. We've had a lot of people say not all of the military officers would have wanted this. Not all of the commanders would have wanted a coup, and they wouldn't have wanted this to happen to the people. I just wondered whether yourself, you obviously don't need to say any names or anything, but whether you yourself had contacts that would would feel that way, would be surprised that this is happening and would not want this to be happening. 
you know, they very obviously they really wanted to, you know, arrest Minkona. You know, if they got Minkona and they thought the movement would die. That's what they're trying to credit on. Even they, when they raid our office, they didn't know me is Nidama and Handa is Handa. They have no picture. They're just trying to, you know, arrest us to use the contact and to credit on other high-profile politicians. But when they got us and they had to follow the procedure to know us, you know, for first three, four days, they were interrogating me about who am I? That is what they just realized that I am a U.S. citizen after three to four days. That is what happened. Even I surprised. They took all my documents and they didn't know I am a U.S. citizen because they have a passport, right? They didn't know. And they misunderstood me as, you know, I was speaking Burmese and they thought I'm a Burmese. I thought, okay, they misunderstood. But when they sent me to prison, they registered me as a Burmese. I complained that, no, 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 I'm a U.S. citizen. I have a right. He said, no, 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 no. We don't want any embassy involved in this case. Just him register as a Burmese. That's how they did it. The yeah. embassy trying to, you know, communicate and try to, you know, approach the prison officer where I'm about. The prison replied, there's no U.S. citizen here. Because the police contained my passport. And the prison didn't know I'm a U.S. citizen. And you had published an interview, was it, with this 88 generation leader? Is that why they were after you in particular, because of an article that had been published? You were on their radar anyway, but this was why they were really interrogating you. Mm-hmm. I think because Mingo Nine gave an inclusive interview, me and Handa. So they saw it. The different exclusive media, only Minkonai spoke to Kamayo media, not to the other media outlet. They thought Minkonai hiding in Rangoon, and they really wanted to crack down. That's the main reason. And do you think it was that push to kind of to get these, you know, revolutionaries from back in 88, that they kind of didn't understand that there was a whole other generation of revolutionaries just ready to step in there? Because... It seems like some kind of miscalculation or a lack of understanding from the military on how the young people were going to react to this. You know, I was surprised when Mei Online and So Wing talked to media and talked to uh, UN Special Envoy that they didn't expect the people rising up two times, twice. I was so surprised they didn't calculate because they didn't know the people. That is the point. Even, you know, even if we are not talking about 88 generation or 2007 generation or maybe Gen Z, they don't really know about people. That is the point. Even they don't really understand what the people of Burma will respond to the coup. They are now in the uh, in the position of they cannot move and they cannot back. That is a military status. They cannot go for dialogue or they cannot back to before the fifth verse. That is their order. But nobody stepped back. That is a point. So where do you think it's going to go from here? Because as you say, I don't think anyone would allow it to go back to how it was before and now after what's happened. And yet, you know, Min Aung Lang and his generals have got to fight this to the death because they've given everything for this. They, they can't just say, oops, sorry. So how will it end? Or, or do you know? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I know. But I, you know, as a journalist, Theoretically speaking, the international outcry and concerns not really matter on both. They just vocal. We don't need vocal. We need a concrete and aggressive action against the counter. But nobody will do it for us, right? So 
the people of Burma understood things to me. That's why they stand up on their own and decided to fight back for, for the country. But I think this is the only movement and only the way the revolution is moving. And even if you can facilitate the uh, political dialogue, blah, 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 no, it is not a total solution for Burma. Burma's solution is a new the people, maybe 20 million people, will sacrifice their life to end the military. That's it. As you know, just only the first two months after the coup, we understand, okay, the military is a legitimate body and institution of war. But now people know they are not army. They are just bandit and fascist terrorists. We have to take back our own country. And nobody will have us. We know. We have to do ourselves. And how important is the media going to be in this? Because we see this misinformation, we see propaganda, we see how dangerous it can be when wrong information gets out and spreads so quickly. How do you counter that at the same time so that there doesn't become a kind of everyone fighting with each other and no collective, you know, which is what the military, like, they're smarter than we think sometimes in many ways, because look where they are, you know. I agree with you. It's very difficult to fight, you know, against the fake news and disinformation because the underground movement is rising. You can get the right information. You don't have a journalist on ground. You can have only the two sources. One is from FIDA, one is from Honda. You know, they might use their psychological warfare and propaganda story. So it's not possible to fight against because on both sides are using their own tactics. That's why I'm trying to communicate with the real underground fighters and to, to try to understand the real situation. So they are not, you know, taking back any. They are just grouping every day. There's a lot of arms flowing in. I totally agree there will be a full-scale civil war in two weeks. Really? Of course. Full-scale civil war. Because, I mean, I know we'd like to think it could be solved in another way, but this military, I mean, I can't see that the, the dialogue is impossible. But then we do have, as you say, the lack of support from the neighboring countries. And then the West, I mean, we were just saying earlier, like the UK have been probably the most vocal in speaking out, but yet their actions are completely not in sync with their words. So they're obviously just going to look after themselves, as will the US. Um and I guess Afghanistan has taught everyone a big lesson that the West, even if they do come, it's not going to solve your problem. So, but they are, we can imagine logistically, it's going to be very difficult because the military have been getting arms for a long time. Russia have been supplying them. So it won't be easy. But I guess if we look at Afghanistan and without saying, <laughs> looking at the Taliban as role models, but they are the outnumbered ones and yet they are the ones who have the power. So. You know, it does show that numbers don't always matter, you know. Yeah, it is, you know, you know, sad to say, you know, the lesson the Taliban give to the people of Burma about international recognition. If you be like a Taliban to seize the territory and to kill the military, you are the one who run the country. That is the kind of lesson, right? The Afghan give us. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And I think it's just, you know, how many people will die along the way in and all of these things, oh you know. It's, it's, I know, it's very hard. But obviously you all know what it's like to be under military rule and that's a death sentence anyway, you know, isn't it? So it is. I think everybody has come to that realization. 
even you know if they start talking with Aung San Suu Kyi and Aung San Suu Kyi is free, I don't think the revolution will die now. Revolution will deny Aung San Suu Kyi. I think you're right. And that's certainly the sentiment we've gotten from a lot of people that we've spoken to. I think there's a lot of love for Antan Suchu. There will always be. But I don't think anyone wants to go back to her politics and under her rule either. I think everyone wants something much better this time. Sure. I totally agree with that. Now, I'm now writing a book about my experience and about the uh, Spring Revolution of Burma. Yeah, I hope I get to publish at the end of this year. Wow. It's going to be a fast book. You're writing every day, I guess. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. I would love to read that. So I, I Thank you. let us Thank know you. When, that, when that is out because we would love to read it. But your story is, what's incredible is your smile and your positivity, despite everything that you've been through. It's amazing. Thanks. And your strength. And I think I should practice some Buddhist meditation in case I ever end up <laughs> in a situation where I could need it. But, yeah, you don't need to be a Buddhist. You just be yourself. That is why I, you know, choosing to practice Vipassana. You don't need to be any member of religious group because of we are people. And in terms of, I know, going forward, like Hantar, obviously we hope that he gets released and we know how hard it is for you in almost like that survivor's guilt where you're out and he's not and other people. But I guess there is... There is hope, you know, he is still alive. As you say, he survived COVID. So the kind of worst has passed. You know, we were so relieved after two weeks, we, we survived the health experience of the uh, intrication center. But back in prison, we smile each other back. We, we survived. We overcame the body. And uh, we try our best in the prison. So I knew, I realized that I could be released anytime because of the US citizen. Maybe Five months, six months later, I could be relieved. Even we were sentenced to like, you know, two years or three years. I understand. I could be released very early. And I didn't want to because I knew and I will be in the uh, prison for like two or three years. But you can't do anything, right? You can't do it. So I have to accept the reality, how brutality is. So we have a chance. Me and Handa will talk about, okay. We will try our best. And I wait him from the outside. You know, I don't know how long it's going to be. I'll wait for it. And in terms of just your, your news outlet now, are you back up and running? Are you not? Or what's your thoughts there? I am not because of all, everything we own is destroyed and seized by the military. Even my 45 journalists were hiding across the country. So I could not, you know, manage for my journalist survival. So I could only help, you know, for their social life, for their hiding place. And I got help from Hanbun and other two journalists who are in inside prison. So I have to look after that. Make sure they got a food regularly every week. Make sure that they are healthy. So I'm not thinking about to rerun my media because there's a lot of independent outlet in Burma. So my absence will not make changes to things. So I have to focus all on my journalism. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of young kind of, we call them like Instagram and Twitter activists where they're, they're doing amazing work. They're like translating Burmese news into English every day, continuously, continuously trying their best to get that information. So 
you know, the Burmese media that are doing it in Burmese, like these young people are just translating it and, and posting every day. And we've got like so many followers. So like so many people are helping, you know, to get the news out there, which is great. But yeah, obviously, logistically for you, it's just not very feasible right now. And I thought my journalists were trained to be a video journalist. So being a video journalist, there's a lot of, you know, demands. So you have to manage all the uh, products and quality everything you have to you have to manage that that's why i'm i'm only one outside of pharma so yeah that's no possible way we run again this doesn't follow on remotely it was just something that i thought in terms of being inside we've seen children be taken away from their families and to make an example because they couldn't arrest the person they wanted to i just wondered whether that was something that you saw in the prisons are there literally children there because they couldn't find their parents to arrest them. I mean, how the hell do those children cope in that situation? Is What are the dynamics there? I met with, you know, the woman political detainee. Oh my God, they together, right? So my block area was pretty close to the uh, female detention area. So we hear every day of the cry of the young kids, boys or girls, maybe girls, I don't know. Yeah, maybe more than 10 or 12. Because they were infant or maybe toddler, so they have to be with their mother. So that their mother were, you know, arrested or, you know, taking part in the protest. So they were together. So I haven't seen with my own eyes those kids, but I talked with the mother and the woman political detainee. And they share their story that so crowded. One small area, 150 women detainee, another downstairs layer, another 150. Oh my God, especially in the uh, raining time, heavy rain, they're gonna go outside. Even the clothes got to be dry. The kids were crying. Oh yeah, there's a lot of difficulty, you know, for mother and for their kids. I just, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of arresting children because of their parents and putting them in, in prison with them. I just, I can't believe there's not international outrage about that. I mean, we hear about the atrocities of the Taliban all the time. And this is you putting children in prison for peaceful protesting of parents is, in my opinion, it should be front news everywhere, right? Yeah, I, I talked to I talked about that to the UN Human Rights Special Envoy and UN, you know, Human Rights Body, everything about, you know, some of the experience I could not talk to the media, right? But some of the secret information I share with them already. So I debriefed them most of the detail of the human rights in prison and in detention center. So I did. I you know I talked to the uh, you know the investigative mechanism for Myanmar of the UN body. So yeah, I did, you know, four hour debrief. So I think they have already record. And also I spoke to uh, Christopher Ganes from Myanmar Accountability Project. So they are trying to yeah work in on lawsuit behalf of me in the UK against the torture or blah, blah, blah. But they are working on it. I don't know if they can use the torture, anti-torture law in the United States or the UK. I don't know exactly, but they are working on that case because uh, they use my debrief and testimony. How do you cope mentally now with everything that you've been through and with everything that's still happening there? Because like we find it hard and we've not been through what you've been through. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
and like I mean obviously we have friends and connections there and it, it, it's hard for us and, and, and most of them are safe you know it's not the same for you so from a mental health even perspective like are you seeking help for that are you talking are you seeing a therapist I mean is that is that a thing <laughs> that you would do like I mean how do you cope and process what you've been through yeah, I check with my, you know, eye size and eye specialist and, you know, Medicaid check out on my body, you know, and yeah, last week I got a reset, everything's fine. But I didn't check my mental state yet because of the friends of mine who live in the United States are so worried about it. Neither you need to talk to the, you know, therapy or something because maybe in the two or three years later, there may be a trauma you might suffer. You know, I really appreciated that. You know, I might have trauma because I, you know, what I've been through, I believe it, but I keep, you know, probably, you know, meditating every day. That is the only thing I can cure myself because I can spoke to you, you know, openly. I'm not suffering mentally, but I, whenever I think about Hunter and other people, my friends, yeah, I cry. You know, I feel sad, but I could not do anything. You know, I have to wait. I have to be a realistic. So, yeah. And I think that it is like, because we spoke to somebody who had been through this from Karen's state back many, many years ago. And we did talk in the show, but we talked separately just as friends. And he did say to me that looking back, the trauma, like he has carried into his adult life and, and many of his friends. And he said, even like they're drinking and things like that, that they, that they didn't realize was because they hadn't dealt with those issues. So don't be afraid to take some, some help, you know, and talk through it because it is very traumatic. I mean, you seem to be handling it amazing, but, but it, it is something that could come back to you in, in a few years and you don't realize, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that it was, so I have to check it. But I want, you know, one more we question. Back in four years ago, my childhood trauma emerged, and I was crying for three nights without sleep. I knew I was suffering a lot from my childhood experience. And I talked to my teacher because I went very deep down to my subconscious level. That is what trauma is, appear up to the surface level. So I have to deal with that. So that is how I cope with that. So I have, you know, Mental trauma, I know, but I have to focus on that to go on away of my suffering and to, to live happily. Yeah, that is the only valuable that I ever had from trauma. Well, they're very lucky to have you as well. Thank you. And Thank you so really, much. We're really grateful for you for talking to us because, you know, we've seen some of your news clips and stuff, but we wanted to hear your whole story, like, in you know, like not just five or 10 minutes at the end of the, you know, as news work. So it, it's really great to, to feel a sense of you in full. You know, I just want to mention the political detainee who are in the prison. I really want the international community to focus on that matter and humanitarian assistance for the people of Burma, especially because of the need badly the COVID vaccine, you know, inside or the outside of the prison. The people badly need it. So even if we put aside of the political issue, yeah, just focus on the relief and the humanitarian, so people can get food and medicine. That's the only thing I would like to request. 
Thanks very much for that, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. It's really great to meet you. And maybe we will see you one day in the future somewhere. Maybe even in Burma. We will all go back. Sure. Today, I hope. Sure, sure. I will go I will go back to Burma when the revolution done, finished. Even Burma are not ready yet. I'll go back to Thailand now. We'll see what I can do. Maybe I can do report or quality document about human rights violation, or maybe I can help anybody for refugees or, you know, before everything back to normal, I could not be a journalist. I can, you know, I can write only thing. I have to practically help to the people who are suffering a lot. Maybe one of the things are done, yeah, I will go back to Burma and I will keep my, my journalism. And they're so lucky to have a friend like you you know he's very lucky because uh, you seem like a great friend to have you know thank you appreciate that i really i really hope they all get out and, and he gets out i think that would be amazing it's an amazing story and and I, I think your book is important i think it's important that the world gets to read that one day I, I, and i think it's good therapy for you to write it as well you know because you work through it all as well thank you so much you know i'm hoping to see you back in Burma or maybe before that when I finish my book, I will, I will send it to you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Okay. Good to see Bye. you, too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to RNR Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at RNR Podcast. Spelled A-H-N-A-H. Please like, follow and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.